0: Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondrachek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. I need to stop asking that question. That's a strange thing to say to a group of people. Um, what are you going to say? After all, I'm terrible in my life as... Miserable, but uh, uh, anyway, hey, my name is Austin Vondracek, I'm one of the pastors here at Rosewood. It's great to have all of you, no matter how you're joining us, no matter even when you're joining us, uh, it's great to have you a part of this church, and if you've never been here or it's one of your first Sundays in a while, uh, we are in a series called The Emotions of God. Uh, We're using our kind of analysis and in-depth look at the emotions of God uh, as a way to kind of view uh, God's characteristics, God's nature, uh, and who he is and who it is that we worship. And today, we're going to finish up our series with the emotion of empathy. We're going to look at empathy. And uh, in a way, I save this for last because um, this is an emotion, admittedly, that I have a hard time feeling. And and I'm I'm not alone. Uh, I... uh, it's not because I don't care, and it's not because if you struggle with it, you don't care about people either. For myself, I, I have a really hard time just like when I talk to somebody, picking up on the nonverbals that they have and really kind of reading how they feel and, and what they think, and so uh, uh, oftentimes opportunities to express empathy get lost on me, but uh, I had a really good teacher recently. Uh, my wife and I went to a, uh, we, we got like a rental house about a year ago for a few days out in uh, South Central uh, Michigan, out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, no internet, uh, no, uh, there was a TV, but no channels. Uh, there was a DVD player, one DVD, <laughs> Inside Out, it's a Disney movie. So I got really accustomed to the movie. I I I pretty much know it by heart inside out. It's a fantastic uh, uh, movie. But but in this movie, if you've never seen it before, uh, the idea the premise is that every person has uh, their their emotions. Their primary emotions are personified, and uh, so like joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. Uh, Those are the five. And uh, so the main character of the story is a little girl, eleven year old girl named Riley. Uh, Though really the main character are her her emotions. And uh, at one point in the story... Uh, joy and sadness, which are kind of pitted against each other a little bit. They're not enemies, but joy is always kind of like, you know, sadness is always like, you know, bringing the room down and joy wants everyone to be happy, right? And so not a big fan of of sadness, but the two of them are journeying together and they need to get back back home and uh, they need help and they run across uh, Riley's make-believe friend named Bing Bong. And uh, Bing Bong uh, is, uh, you know, full of life, excited, uh, until at one point in the story, uh, his make-believe uh, uh, magic wagon gets pushed over the edge into the ravine of uh, forgotten memories. And you know, when things go into this ravine of forgotten memories, basically, it represents all the things that you no longer remember are just gone; they, they evaporate. And his wagon falls into there, and, and for Bing Bong, Bing, Bing, Bing whatever, Bing, Bing, what is it? I already forgot it. Bing Bong, thank you. Uh, so for Bing Bong, he, he's sitting on the edge of this cliff, uh, and he's, just kind, he's realizing that Riley is growing up, and that she is beginning to forget about him. She's already forgotten now about the wagon, and she, he's beginning to be forgotten about. And he's just, like, frozen in despair. Now, now for, for joy and sadness, they need to get somewhere. So they need him to get moving. And so, so joy kind of steps in, and, and joy tries to, like, silver line the situation and distract him and, and try to, you know, make him laugh to try to get him going. And, and, and I can kind of relate to that in, in a lot of ways. But then also joy finds herself, like, unable to move uh, Bing Bong because he's just so sad. And so she kind of quits, and then then sadness comes in and sits down next to Bing Bong and acknowledges what he's feeling and kind of enters the despair with him in a way that really only sadness can, acknowledges the feelings and, and, uh, and gives him a hug. And Bing Bong expresses himself and, and, and is able to kind of put to words through the support and the presence of sadness uh, what he's really feeling. And then as a result, he's able to kind of get up and, and go again. And, and for joy, she's kind of shocked when she sees this. She doesn't understand how sadness can play a part in the healing process for another person. And what we really see there is, is to me, one of the best examples in kind of a playful but memorable way, of what uh, empathy really is. Empathy, in the most simple definition, you could say that empathy is feeling with people. Feeling with people is what, what empathy is. So, for us, for, in order for us to say that God is a God of empathy, we have to be able to prove that He feels with people. Which is, maybe maybe some of you here, you're like, of course, I, I, that's already proven in my mind. The thing is that this is not a common characteristic in world history of, of religions. If we actually are able to say that God, that the triune God is revealed in Christ, is a God of empathy, that, then we can say that this is something that differentiates Jesus, that differentiates the triune, the Christian tradition of, of God, differentiates him from every single other major world religion, at the very least, every monotheism. Theistic religion. If we can say that Jesus is empathetic, that God uh, uh, that, that God practices empathy that we see revealed in Jesus. Now, I believe that He is that we. It is right to say that God is empathetic because only God, uh, only God in Christ, knows what it means to be human. Only our God can feel with people because only our God knows. What it is to be human. Today we're going to be uh, we're going to mostly be spending our time in a story uh, found in the Gospels. In this case, we're going to be reading from uh, John uh, John uh, eleven verses one through forty four. It's a story of Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus. And uh, we're going to tell the whole story. We're not going to read the entire story. What we do read will be up here on the screen, but you can also follow along in your Bible if you would like to kind of keep everything straight. We're going to jump around a bit, uh, but we're going to work from the beginning and we're going to work towards the end. And here is how the story starts. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Uh, He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. Uh, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped uh, his feet with her hair. So John's just trying to remind you, hey, we know this person. There's a lot of Marys back then, common name. Here's the Mary that he's talking about. So the sisters uh, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, or, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, uh, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea, Judea being the region in which Bethany uh, can be found. Now, um, I, want you, I just want to point out what Jesus could have done but didn't here. Uh, elsewhere in the Gospels, uh, in fact, Luke 7, which we're going to look at in a few weeks uh, after this series, we're going to go into the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but in, in Luke 7, a centurion, a Roman centurion, comes to Jesus and says, my servant is uh, sick, will you heal him? And Jesus basically does this like half-court miracle and, forg- and, and, and uh, uh heals this servant uh, without even going to him. Now, now Jesus' MO is to go to the person in order to heal, but in this case, he doesn't. And in this story of Lazarus, he is able to, to just do it from anywhere, we've seen. Precedence of Scripture says that he can, but he chooses not to. So why does Jesus wait two days? Because that seems a little odd. Isn't this an emergency? There's a couple reasons from the story of, that, that John tells that may explain why. Now, the, the, first, the first reason uh, could be that it was too dangerous. Okay, so the very next verse says, But Rabbi, the disciple said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back. And then later, when Jesus insists, two days later, uh, Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So they believe the disciples. Disciples believe that it is so dangerous, it's basically a suicide mission, and they might as well go with him because they have no one else. Then, after everything happens with Lazarus, as we'll continue to read, I mean, spoiler alert, he raises Lazarus from the dead. After that happens, uh, uh, it says that from that day on, they, meaning the religious leaders, uh, plotted to take his life. So, There is a legitimate threat here, and so perhaps Jesus waited two days because there was such a threat that he kind of needed to wait for the temperature to cool a little bit. You could make that argument from what John says. A second reason, which it may be both and, it may be neither, uh, but a second reason could be that Lazarus was already dead. A little math here, okay? So later in this story, Uh, When Jesus does get there, he is told that Lazarus has been dead for four days. So uh, let's say it takes a day to go from uh, Bethany to Jerusalem and to find where Jesus is in in all of of Jerusalem. So that's a day. Then Jesus waits two days. So now we're up to three. Then he travels from Jerusalem to Bethany. Let's just add another day onto that. That's four days. And it says that Lazarus died four days later. Prior, So there is, a, I think, a very likely chance that that messenger left when Lazarus was alive, but Lazarus died not long after he left. So perhaps within kind of Jesus' divine wisdom, he knew that Lazarus was already dead, and so the rush just wasn't really there. Here's why I bring all this stuff up. Because this is a story... And a message that's pointing towards the empathy of God and what Jesus does does not feel very empathetic. Waiting two days does not feel like something that a good uh, God might do. In fact, I, uh, I don't know for sure exactly why Jesus waited. But... I think that it does, his waiting kind of brings us, brings us in line with the characters of Scripture and within a prayer that, that many of us as Christians feel. In fact, even non-Christians will, will pray this prayer. Uh, God, why don't you do something? I don't think there's a person alive who hasn't prayed a prayer or something like that. God, why don't you do something? Because this is a lot of times what we start to think when, when God doesn't uh, act according to the timing that we expect, the timing we think is right, the timing that we ask for, is that it just naturally comes to a point where our most honest prayer is, God, why don't you do something? Because we, you, you will find times in your life where according to what you see, God is... I don't know what, at best, uh, busy and somewhat absent, or at worst, doesn't care. So God, why don't you do something? In fact, for Martha, Martha who greets Jesus, the brother of Lazarus who has died, Martha even has a little bit of, of this question within her. Here's what it says. He says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which implies that, that Mary has an awareness of what Jesus is capable of. That, she, that he could have prevented Lazarus' death. Yet she says, look, if you were here, implying, hey, if you would have not waited two days, my brother might still be alive. God, if you're there, do something. Why aren't you doing anything? I think that um, Martha's prayer is... Um, could be kind of categorized as something very similar to a lot of our prayers. If you were to, if you were to look at a print-off of all of your prayers in the last you know, month and try to categorize them, my guess is that your prayers would, many of your prayers would fall into the category that also many of my prayers would fall into, uh, which is uh, preventative prayers. Prayers where we're asking for God to prevent something bad from happening. Now, there's a whole slew of, of you know, preventative prayers and examples of them. Preventative prayers are when we you, know, you pray for protection for driving. You pray for protection for your kids. Uh, you ask God for help with a task. You pray for intervention on a prognosis. You pray that your team won't lose. All of those things are preventative prayers. And there's nothing wrong. With preventative prayers. Just because I'm categorizing them. Does not mean that. Oh this is a lesser prayer. Not at all. Continue to pray preventative prayers. The problem becomes. When we find ourselves believing. That God is only capable of preventative action. That if something happens. That we wish God would have prevented. That God is somehow done. That he's missed the mark. But here's why I, I bring all of this up just to say, here's why I think that Jesus waited. Because he had already, up to this at this point, proven his preventative power. He had already performed miracles and provided teachings that proved his preventative power, like healing, for instance. If, if if Jesus would have gone and healed Lazarus, he wouldn't have. I mean, yes, that would have been amazing, but it wouldn't have taught anyone anything new about what he was capable of doing because he's already healed people up to this point. His he was still yet to prove his resurrection power. He had proven his preventative power, but he had yet to prove his resurrection power. That is his ability to raise a person from death to life. His ability to take our worst circumstances and redeem them, resurrect them into something that is good. He hadn't proven that yet. He had proven his preventative power, but not his resurrection power. And you can't resurrect something that isn't dead. And in fact, even even within Martha, who who said to him basically, God, if if you'd already been here, if you'd been here, we see this preventative prayer, this preventative mindset within Martha. But I cut her off because she goes on to demonstrate a a resurrection mindset because she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And so after Martha then brings Jesus along to their home where uh, Mary and others are, this is how the story continues. It says when uh, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, Look how he loved him. This is the second part of the story that really confuses me. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Why did Jesus cry? Why did Jesus cry? Uh, I... I've always assumed and been told and just accepted that Jesus cried because Lazarus was dead. I mean, Lazarus was Jesus' friend. when, When the messenger came to tell Jesus, he didn't even tell him that Lazarus was dead. He says, the one that you loved is dead. So Lazarus is a close friend. He's dead. And so it makes sense that Jesus would cry. But here's... Here's the grind to me. Here's what's a little bit odd to me. Jesus cries. He grieves. He even gets angry, even though he knows that in a few minutes, he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So if he knows he's going to live again, why is Jesus so sad that Lazarus is dead? Because if that were me, if that were me, if I was Jesus in that situation, and and, and you know what, I'm going to guess you would respond the same way. If I was there, I would not be sad. I'd be, like, excited. you think I was a psychopath. I'd be excited. I'd be like, is he, is he dead? Show me where he's laying. Everybody come with me. Get a load of this. This is going to be awesome. That's what I would do. I would want people to know. I'd be so excited. I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. They're going to understand who I am. I'd be happy, not sad. So anyway, this is always confused me. And so a few weeks ago, I was meeting with Lindsay, our, our worship director. Uh, now, most of you probably think that her whole job is just making sure everything happens here goes off well and does all behind, behind the scenes and execution and all of that. That's really only half of her job. The other half of her job is meeting with me, asking me what I'm preaching on, it's so that she could do her job, and then I say, I don't really know, and then we have to like process it together so that she can do her job. That's the other half of her job, how she spends about half of her time, and so we're in one of those meetings, and uh, I say, ah, you know, a few weeks from now, we're preaching on empathy. She says, great, what text are you going to use? And I said, ah, I'd like to use Lazarus, but I don't really know what's, it doesn't really make any sense. I feel like it's leaning towards empathy, but I don't, there's some things I don't understand, and I told her some of the things I told you, and And what she said, here's what she said to me. She said, "Uh, what if Jesus is crying with Mary and Martha and not for Lazarus? Jesus is crying with Mary and Martha, not with Lazarus. Everybody needs somebody to preach to him, even the preacher. In that moment, I got preached to. Jesus is crying with Mary and Martha, not necessarily for Lazarus. Because from the perspective of Jesus and from the perspective of his resurrection power, Lazarus is just sleeping. Jesus is crying with Mary and Martha and the rest of Lazarus's friends because he is a God of empathy. He feels with people. He feels with them. He Feels with you. Empathy is is difficult for some people. Again, some people it's it's difficult to actually feel. For other people, it's difficult to want to express. Some of us shy away from from empathy, from feeling empathy towards another person and demonstrating it because it requires us to connect with something in ourselves that can connect with where that person is. We find a place in our experience within ourselves that can relate to the experience that that other person is having. And so it requires for us to truly feel what the other person is feeling. And so when Jesus is with Mary and Martha and their friends, and they're crying about the death of Lazarus for, for Jesus He is is connecting with his own sorrow of death. The death of Lazarus and the pain that he sees that this death has caused is calling him towards his purpose. He's remembering why he's there. That due to sin, death is a reality. Death is an imposter in the original created order. Jesus connects with them because he can. He feels with them. Because he's able to. Because death has affected him as well. In fact, the, the translation that we have is pretty weak for this in the ways that it affects Jesus. In the story, it says that he wept. Okay, that's what, that's what this translation, that's what most translations say. Jesus wept. I don't know about you, when I think of weeping, I'm thinking of like, like a tear. You know, It's not too loud, it's in the corner. You, won't, you don't really notice weeping too much. The Greek word is dakruo. And dakruo doesn't mean wept. Dakruo means to be torn up inside or to convulse with grief. So what Jesus is doing, he's losing it. In this case, he's around these people and he is absolutely losing it. But that's what empathy does to us. It allows us to feel other people's pain, which allows us to spot and connect with hurt in, the wor- in, in this world in unique ways. Empathy sees pain where other people don't see anything. Empathy sees sadness and misery and depression when the rest of the world doesn't see anything. Empathy gives us new eyes, fresh eyes, to see the world in different ways and for ways to connect with people that we otherwise wouldn't. I'll tell you how this, this is how it kind of impacts me. So, for myself, I struggle with depression. I have been for a while. My preventative prayer is that God would take away my depression. Because if, I mean, if you have depression or you've struggled with it before, you know what it's like. It sucks. Every day is a fight, every day, against depression. My preventative prayer is that God will take away my depression. And someday he might. I don't know. But for now, it's what I got. And what I have noticed... Is that now, because of this, I am able to see and connect with people in ways that I was not able to do before I had depression. Before I had depression, in fact, I would meet other people who were depressed, and I'd be like, boy, that person's a downer. I don't really want to spend time with this person. That's how that's how I thought of people. Now I see it and I say, Oh, that's my brother. I get it, you're depressed. And I'm able to see that and connect with people in ways that before, no chance, I wasn't able to do. That is God's redemptive, that's his his resurrection power within something that just feels so dead within me. And he can do that within you. Our experiences, especially the most painful experiences of your life, allow you to connect with other people in ways that you were not able to do before. Reality is in this world that bad things happen to good people. We may not understand it, but it's true. Things happen to us. They affect us. They beat us up. They break us down. But with God's resurrection power, we have ways of connecting with people that we were never able to before. And the key to all of this is embracing the empathy that God has shown us. You know, Jesus lived in a fallen... Cracked and broken world. It was a place where disease and death and tragedy and heartache were just a part of life. And in his humanity, your Savior felt disturbing, deep human emotions deep down to his soul. He feels the weight of the grief that his friends experience when they meet death face to face. In fact, uh, here's a, a quote I love by a pastor named uh, uh, pastor named John Mark Comer. He says that the Creator himself is not spared from the assault of creation's sorrow the sorrow that you feel the sorrow that we all experience in this world is not something that's foreign to our God it's something that he knows that he felt firsthand to go back to the premise of the movie that I started with I think that that the character joy that her awakening to the importance of empathy and grief is the same kind of empathy or the same kind of awakening that many of us might need with God. It's an awakening to a hope that we didn't know was there. It's an awakening to a hope that's not dependent upon good things happening to us, but a good God with us. God with you. It's a common refrain. Through scripture, and it's really a way it, it flows out of God's empathy, because when you sink into your own personal hell, and maybe that's what y'all walked in with today, when you find yourself with nowhere to go, you feel like the end is right around the corner, God is there with you. When you sink down into the, just into the mud and the rain of life. And we all find ourselves there at times. Jesus sits down in the mud with you. Sometimes we don't need someone to stand over us and to help us up. Sometimes we just need somebody to sit down with us in the muck and the mire and the crap that we deal with on a daily basis. And God is that with you. God is with you. He hears the groans of your soul. He hears the whisper of your heart for help. And he hears that because of how close he is to you. God is with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your promises. Thank you that your promises are sure, that we can take them to the bank, God, that when you say something will be done, when you say you are something, God, we can rely on that. We can lean on that in the promises of your word. God, you tell us that you are there with us. You're for us. You're around us. But God, you are with us. And God, you're with us in the highs and in the lows. One of the beauties of a place like this is that we all walk in in a different place. For some of us celebrating some of the best days of our lives, for others of us just trying to hang on, we come to a sanctuary perhaps hoping it truly will be a sanctuary from the things that we peddle with each day. But God, any second with you is a sanctuary. And so Jesus... Thank you for sitting with us. And I pray, God, that your spirit would be felt so near and so close to every single person here. Especially for those of us who walk in with our own deep, demanding struggles. God, you love us so much. And at times, we don't feel that. We don't understand that. But God, help us through. Walk with us sit with us, and Jesus, lead us on through your resurrection power. God, help us to lean and rely upon you in all areas of our life, and help us also as a community to lean upon one another and to embrace and care for one another, God, as you tell us, In Scripture, God, give us eyes to see through empathy. Help us to see the world as you see it, as a broken world, but not one to be abandoned, one to be loved. God, give us boldness and courage in order to feel empathy and to demonstrate it to others as it has been demonstrated to us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.